Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey there, friends. Welcome to episode 18. If you're a regular listener, you might have noticed something different about last week's episode. We have decided that for now, we won't be breaking into the middle of our conversations with an ad. Ads are a fantastic way for podcasts to earn money, and we are not opposed to doing them in the future. In fact, if you or someone you know has a business and you'd be interested in advertising with us, let us know. But for now, we are going to be bringing you our conversations without interruption. If you are encouraged or blessed by this podcast and decide you want to show us some love, the best way to do that is over on Buy Me a Coffee, where you can make a one-time donation. We appreciate all of you who have gone to do that so far. If you're interested, the link for that is in the show notes. Today, I'm chatting with a super special guest, someone I can honestly say is one of my best friends, my little sister, Jennifer Short. A few years ago, we were having a conversation with some of our friends, and Jen and I shared a little bit about how God has worked in our relationship over the years. And those friends were shocked to hear that things between us used to be pretty tumultuous. We have not always considered ourselves to be friends. The response from that friend group encouraged us to share our story with others who might be dealing with difficult sibling relationships, maybe yourself with your own siblings or between your kids. Our story of our relationship is also interwoven with the story of Jennifer's conversion. Even though we both grew up as fourth-generation apostolics in a godly house, Jennifer did not have a personal relationship with God until her late teens. So if you're trying your best to raise your kids to love and serve God and love each other, but there seems to be a disconnect or lack of interest, even open rebellion, I pray this episode will bring you some hope and encouragement. This recording was a little more casual, a little less polished than some of our other content, but it's a real conversation between sisters about our experiences and the overwhelming goodness of God. I hope you love it. Jennifer Short, welcome to Good Question. Hey. So this interview is going to be a little bit different because you are my sister. And so this feels really funny, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's going to be good. So... Obviously, I know who you are, but for the listeners, go ahead and introduce yourself. (laughs) Well, clearly my name is Jennifer Short. I am Jessica Short's lesser known sister, (laughs) (laughs) younger sister. I am a 30-something. I am single. I am a lover of Jesus and chocolate and Apple products. (laughs) I'm a self-professed nerd. I teach English to fifth and sixth graders. I have had the privilege of traveling to numerous countries um, as a short-term missionary. And yeah, that's about sums up who I am, I guess. Yep. 
You're also a great auntie. Maybe my most favorite title. And a sister and a good daughter. And yeah. So we are sisters. We were born almost exactly three years apart. I was uh, one month away from turning three when you were born. Mm -hmm. So what can we say about when we were younger kids? Uh, One of our aunts used to call us J&J Wrecking Company. Yep. Um, Because I guess we were maybe mildly destructive um, when we would visit. I think we both each answered to the opposite name because we're so used to hearing each other's names mixed up. Yes, we both have very popular names for the decade we were born in. And so Mm -hmm. I answer to Jennifer or Jessica. You answer. Or Jessifer or or Jennifer. (laughs) Yes, any of those. We just say, huh? Yep. Yeah. We have great parents. We were raised in the church from the time we were born. Our dad became a licensed minister when we were very young. I was in like the third grade, maybe. So you would have been probably in the first grade. So most of our life, our dad has been a preacher. And then we'll talk about this probably somewhere in a little bit. But he became a pastor when we were teenagers. Mm -hmm. I was almost 16. So that's kind of our background. Grew up in a strong apostolic family and always were in church multiple times a week. So that's kind of been our our history. Yep. But all of that sounds great on paper. <laughs> the reality when we were young children, I think we were probably, we were okay as little bitty kids. I think we got sure. along okay. But as we moved into our preteen yeah, older older kids, probably 10 and on, we started running into some issues. And so kind of what I had invited my sister on to talk about on the show today is having hope for difficult relationships in your family. We've shared this story with a few friends here and there. And it's one thing when you live through something, you don't always see exactly what God has done until you sit down and start to really talk about it. And then you realize wow, we've really come a long way. So let's talk about our relationship as kids, I guess, as young kids and and teens. I was baptized whenever I was nine years old, I think. And I received the Holy Ghost when I was 12. And that was probably right around the time when things uh, between you and I started to get a little bit difficult. So can you talk about that from your perspective? Sure. So looking back as an adult and seeing probably what was going on at the time, Jessica would never say it, but in my mind anyways, she was the quote perfect child. Jessica was well behaved. You had good grades. You always did what mom and dad asked, usually with no balking and they never had to really get on to you that I could see. I'm sure that wasn't entirely the case, but I struggled with ADHD. I was incredibly hyperactive. I think it was mom that used to say, yeah, uh, ADHD heavy on the H (laughs) because I was just wild with energy and um, I love to have fun, but I never knew where to rein it in as a kid. And so I think that being that way and seeing the perfectness that I thought of from my older sister, it grew into quickly grew into resentment on my part because I saw her as so perfect. I didn't want to be anything like you. And I don't know why, but I guess that in my childhood brain that's just what happened and so for everything that you did right I guess I wanted to do the opposite of you wrong so 
she got the Holy Ghost, got baptized. I don't know that it was ever a conscious decision necessarily on my part. It was just something that never happened for me. And, you know, looking back, it wasn't that I never tried because I can remember us being kids and I would pray in the altar and hmm. I loved to be with my friends. And I remember you praying for other people in the altar <laughs> yeah. before you had the Holy Ghost yourself. Hashtag Enneagram too, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it just never was something that I chose for myself. And I mean, I would go up and seek the Holy Ghost. And I think that resentment turned more toward bitterness later in uh, preteen and teenage years, more so than when we were kids. But that's probably where it, where it started. That's so interesting because I remember, even as a young kid, being aware of that Maybe it was the ADHD, maybe it was that hyperactivity, but I remember being aware that you did not have the capacity to rein yourself in. And so I can remember if there was ever an altercation where like we were physical with each other, like fighting, I remember knowing even as a, as a young child, like if I don't stop this, it won't stop. Like, you know, sometimes when you get into something with someone, even as a kid, you know, like, okay, like we've taken this far enough. <laughs> like It's time yeah. for us to like wrap this up. And I sensed, I could just tell like you did not have that place Ability. inside of you to know like this is where we have to stop. And so I just knew if I don't stop it, like one of us is really going to hurt the other one. And so I felt, I guess, some responsibility for that, like knowing that you couldn't rein yourself in, like some responsibility to be the one watching over making sure we didn't push things too far. And I think that maybe that led into me having kind of a mothering tone with you and, and like trying to rein you in in other situations, which then you also probably came to resent as well, because I would try to boss you and tell you to calm down and all that sort of thing. Well, I can see that now being a heavy weight on you as well, of having that burden of having to know when to make me stop. Yeah. Looking back, I could let that make me feel guilty. But as a kid, you know, I, how are you supposed to know? Right. You know, right. as an adult, sure, I can make those judgment calls now as a grown adult. But yeah, I, I would agree with you there. So we moved into our we moved into our teen years. As we mentioned, I had received the Holy Ghost, but you had not and you had not been baptized. And when you grow up in an apostolic church in an apostolic home, I felt like even on me, because I got the Holy Ghost when I was 12, I felt like that was very old in comparison to the kids our age in our church. And so I know I had some like, I don't know, insecurity around that as like a 10 or 11 year old kid about the fact that I didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. And so I can only imagine that that probably that pressure was on you to some degree as well. But for... I guess I would like to stop here, like for families who have a young, a young child, preteen, teen, who's grown up in the church, they know the truth, but they haven't either made that move towards wanting to be baptized or started to seek for the Holy Ghost. What do you feel like we as a family did well or what we didn't do so well when it came to that issue with you? That's an interesting question because there have been times in the last several years that mom and I have had uh, occasion to speak in front of an audience of women. There have been different times when I've been able to share our family testimony and my testimony. And I've had pastor's wives ask me, and I'm nobody special, but I've had them come to me and say, I'm so thankful for your testimony. I have children who are in the church, but have not received the Holy Ghost. And so I've heard this question before 
And it's kind of hard to answer because looking back, I can say pushing is not the answer. At least it wasn't for me. And I have worked in youth ministry a lot in my adult years. And I have seen people that I feel like my heart becomes entwined with theirs because I see the same look on their face that I feel like I had when I was their age. And I'm stuck in this uh, conundrum of wanting in my Enneagram 2 and in my lovingness, wanting to go to them and just wrap my arms around them and tell them Jesus loves them. But looking back at a 14-year-old Jennifer, I would have been furious. Like, get your hands off of me. If I want Jesus, I will take him. <laughs> and that sounds so harsh, but that's what my brain would say. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it, the two of us, but I feel like I dealt with some anger as a child and I didn't know how to not channel it, but I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I would, uh, my, my feelings of insecurity would turn to anger very quickly. I can remember instances of specific preachers coming and I would just dread it. You know, those fiery preachers who are known for, you know, gathering everyone at the altar or maybe calling on certain ones to come. And I would just, I would just want to be sick and stay home from church, which, you know, in our house really wasn't an option unless you were just, you know, dying. (laughs) You went to church when the doors were open. And I'm thankful now that our parents instilled that in us. But as a, you know, preteen who doesn't have the Holy Ghost, that's the last thing I wanted. Yeah. So it's this struggle between encouraging but not pushing, but also not completely ignoring the fact that, you know, that person does hear. And no matter how frustrated I looked or how distant I looked, every message fell on my ears and they were not always on deaf ears. I would maybe try to make it look that way, mm-hmm. but I heard the message. And so I'm thankful that mom and dad continued to, I don't say make me go to church, but that was their expectation. Mm-hmm. It was never a question. Right. We're going to church. And I'm thankful that they never let me rule the roost per se. And if, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And I can just thinking about it from my own memories of that time. It became very clear, I think, to mom and I that if you ever did show any kind of interest, like if you ever were, did ev- if you ever did go forward, like with people with the youth group to pray or whatever, mom and I figured out pretty quickly, like we didn't need to be anywhere near you <laughs> in that scenario. Because if if either of us came up and tried to pray with you or even stand near you, it was like a wall went up around you. Like you were not open to that in any way. And so we we were just like, okay we'll stay away and we'll pray from over here and trust that, you know, that maybe she'll be receptive to someone else praying with her or at the very least. And I guess it's not the very least God will get through no matter what. Right. Right. So it's interesting to hear you say that it was getting through whether it looked like it or not, because yeah, it did not look like it was. (laughs) It didn't. And again, these are things that I don't even like to bring up with you because I don't want to make you like relive that time period, but in your behavior and your um, demeanor outside of church, it definitely didn't seem like it was getting through. And it definitely didn't seem like you were, that you wanted anything to do with growing in God. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I don't think I did necessarily because I can remember if we move a little bit past. So to back up when I was 16 or I was about to turn 16, My birthday's in August, so it was the Easter before my 16th birthday. Dad was elected as pastor of a small church that was 
what, like 30 minutes away from our home church that we had grown up in our whole life. You were 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I might be getting ahead of myself here, but no, I think this is a good, I think this is a good place. Yeah. I was, I was just a couple months from graduating high school Yeah, and planning to go to college and the community college here in town. Yeah. And I was um, heading into my junior year and dad was elected and it went from, you know, we had a youth group of 30, 40 kids to a small church of less than 20 people. And as a kid, I would say babies and old people, (laughs) because that's what it felt like. And you, as an 18 year old, were given the choice of what you wanted to do, whether you stayed in the church that we grew up in or went with mom and dad. And um, we didn't immediately move homes or move towns. We traveled back and forth for a while. So we all lived together, but you chose to stay, which was the best choice you could have made. And I I don't know that I would agree with that now, but well, maybe not. I, I look back on that decision and I don't have, I don't say that I have regrets because every, you know, every step that we move along the path, God has, has led us where we need to be. But I do wish at the time that I had taken more consideration into how it would affect you and, um, yeah. And even how it would affect mom and dad that I, that I chose not to go and be supportive of the family, uh, calling, but that's my own, (laughs) my own stuff. That's just, you know, you can't go back and change the past. Sure. But I think that that's really when the the biggest distance became because I was getting older. I struggled with bullying a lot in school as a younger kid going from probably like third, fourth grade on up into sixth, seventh and eighth grade even. And so I wanted so badly to fit in that I completely just in my social life, I totally shunned our, our apostolic faith and did and said whatever I could to make myself be a part of my friend's culture. So when you say you struggle with bullying, you were, you were bullied as in those years. You've... Yes. Okay. Yes. And so I think that probably lent itself to wanting to be more like my quote friends at school. And thankfully mom and dad instilled enough in me that I was, I had enough of the fear of God that I never outwardly rebelled, but I talked a big game. So by the time I was, a senior, we had been traveling back and forth from our new home where our church was to school. Um, My mom worked at the school, so we would travel back and forth to school. I had a haircut picked out. I had outfits picked out. I actually still have those things. I have written a letter to myself as a senior of everything that was going to change in my life, I thought. And on the outside of the letter, I sealed it. And it was a project from a psychology teacher and she would keep it for five years and then mail it back to you. And on the outside of the letter, I wrote mom and dad, if I'm not here, when you get this, please know that I love you, but your life was not for me. And um, thankfully when I got that letter, I was still here and in a much different place, but it really, um, it really shook me when I got it just to know how far God had brought me in five years. And that's really jumping ahead. But I think that's really where that distance started going into my last few high school years and on into college and really struggling with not having the Holy Ghost. At that point, I had been baptized, if you remember. Mm -hmm. I got baptized right before we left our home church. And I remember you telling me it was a really powerful service. And do you remember, were there other people baptized that night? Or was Mm -hmm. it just me? I don't remember. But I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but you came over to me and you told me, 
if you if you can't get it here, it's going to be a lot harder for you to get it there because you knew what we were heading into. And I was going from a support system and a youth group to a very, very small, um, what we would probably consider a home missions church. Yeah. And so I did feel that tug and I felt that pull and I did get baptized. I believe it was in 2001. So thankfully that was the starter step. Mm-hmm. We have a cousin who would call them baby steps. Mm-hmm. She would see me praying or see me kind of make a, a, a little bitty step toward God. And to this day, I'll tell her sometimes, thank you for walking with me in those baby steps because she would come to me in a very meek manner and just tell me she was very proud of the baby step I had taken. And for some reason that really stuck with me that she never pushed me. She never made a big ta-da about it, but she acknowledged it in a meaningful way. That's really interesting. I think every time we talk about this, the things that stick out to me is how, you know, we were living in the same house up until that year. We were going to the same church. We were together a lot as far as like physically within proximity of each other. But I didn't have any idea most of this was going on. All I saw was the outward kind of the lashing out that you would do towards me or mostly towards our parents, mostly towards our mom. And I saw that. And in my uh, protectiveness of mom, just shut down. And I don't know if as a teenager, I had the capacity to even understand that there was something underneath that causing you to act that way. (laughs) You know, in my mind, it was just like, how could you possibly speak to her that way? How could you possibly act like that? And so it became like, I don't know, I I wanted you to do, I wanted you to change and I wanted you to follow God, but I wasn't thinking about like what was underneath all of that, or maybe even the ways that what I was doing was contributing to that. You know what I'm saying? And again, I think as teenagers, you don't always understand all of those things, but looking back on it, it just, it's always surprises me, like everything that was going on that I was completely unaware of. Well, and we've talked about this and mom and I and the three of us have talked about this before that I was so angry and I didn't know why. And I can remember specific moments of, and we, we kind of joke about it now because we can, thankfully, but I was a stinker (laughs) and not so, you know, to put it mildly and nicely, I was really, really hateful to you. And I could tell specific instances of things I did that were just horrible and it was so funny because I would scream and yell and just lash out. And then I couldn't understand why you didn't want to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and it just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you hear of kids that want attention so badly, they'll get it any way they want. And I think that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to get that attention in a positive way. And so it came out negatively and you would stew and brew and it would just boil inside of you for days. And five minutes later, I'd be good and want to play <laughs> and just could not understand why we were not the best of friends. <laughs> and I remember we had a group of friends who were two girls. They were sisters. It was actually three sisters. And they were stair-stepped in age like we were. And the two older ones were the same age as you and I. And we still know them to this day. Very good friends of our family. And they, from the outside looking in, were good friends. They got along. And I don't know that I ever said it to you, but I think I said it to the one of our, our friend at the time. I was like, how are you such good friends with your sister? I just can't stand my sister. And we never get along. And she was like, I don't know. We're just, and I was so jealous of that relationship, but I didn't know how to get past the anger and just be loving. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to look back and think about the thoughts and feelings you were having. And I can, I can remember being in those outbursts and not wanting to be angry. I was frustrated with the way I felt, but I didn't know what to do to make it stop. Mm. Which is kind of hard looking back now. Yeah. Well, we went, we moved on. Um, there were a couple of years there where you were still in high school. I was in community college and um, I wasn't really home a lot because I was driving back and forth to college and work and church still here in Tulsa. And so I basically just <laughs> drove to the little town where we lived to sleep and then change clothes and turn around and come back. Basically, that was all I did for that last year, especially. And then I ended up moving away. I moved four hours away for college um, for the last two and a half years of college. And at that point, our relationship seemed like it started to get a little bit better. I think having some distance started to help. But I would notice that when I was a, whenever I'd be at college, we would talk on the phone or whatever. And be like, oh, I miss you. I can't wait for you to come home. I can't <laughs> wait to come home. And then I would come home and then we would just like... Within minutes, it felt like be back into a fight, be back into some kind of situation. And yeah, it was just, it seemed like we couldn't get out of that old pattern. And looking back on that now, I've said this to you before. I think that you moving away to college was the best thing that ever happened for our relationship. It made me appreciate you more. It made me understand that I did miss you and I wanted you around. And when you came home, I was struggling with my newfound freedom of having the bathroom to myself and having that, you know, having our end of the house to myself, but then wanting you around, but then realizing that in a few days you were going to leave me again. And immediately that anger would come back. And that was the only thing I knew how to go to for some reason. So it was just this whole war of emotions of loving you, loving having you home and knowing you were going to leave again and yeah. just fall back right into that pattern. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happened whenever I moved away, and we've talked about this over and over because we never can quite remember exactly how it all went down and exactly when it was, but <laughs> I think that the dates aren't really that important. I do know this. I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas for college, and the very first Wednesday night service that I was there, uh, I moved in January, and the very first Wednesday night was the first service of the new year. and. Brother Frank Jordan, who was guest number one of the Good Question podcast, had started a was starting a Wednesday night prayer series and we were doing some focused prayer. He brought a basket out with little slips of paper and he told us he wanted us to write down the name of someone that we knew who needed the Holy Ghost and put it in the basket. And every week we were going to take it out and pray over it. And so I wrote your name on the on the paper, stuck it in the basket. And for that first year that I was in Little Rock, we would pull the basket out periodically as a church and pray over it. And every once in a while, if we were having a prayer service or an altar service, someone who would feel led to do so would go get the basket and pull it out and we would pray over it. And so this happened regularly over the course of that first year. And then the following January, almost a year later, the prayer was finally answered. So I want you to talk about that from your perspective. So that year, it's been a few years ago, we went back and we figured out when it was. But I was, it was in January, I was 19 years old, and I was in college, really struggling, um, struggling with, you know, being in this small church with my dad. I hated him at the time for taking me away from my friends, and I've told him 
profusely uh, how apologetic I am about the way I acted toward him during those years when he first took the church. I'm not sure how he preached with me glaring at him from the pew. <laughs> but again, there was this dichotomy of I wanted so badly to be involved and it was just me and mom and dad. So dad would lead worship from the pulpit. Mom would sing. Our family is musical and has been our whole life growing up. So I would play the drums and also pray sing. And I loved it. I would teach Sunday school and then I would go home and yell and scream and fight with mom and dad and be a hellion. <laughs> and I would go to college the next day and I would be faced with all sorts of questions about my faith and living in this college society and not having the Holy Ghost to direct me. So there was this whole war going on. And I believe that that's really when mom and dad started noticing, if we don't do something, we're going to lose her forever. So mom and dad consulted some very dear close friends of ours who we had grown up with knowing as our aunt and uncle, no blood relation, but were very, very dear friends of our family. And I think more so we knew them as young kids and then they traveled and were evangelists and we lost touch throughout our growing up years. But they pastored in a nearby town and mom and dad were, I would probably say they would say they were at their wits end with me. And his suggestion was that dad stopped having service on Sunday nights and started coming to visit their church with me because they had an established youth group. And he felt like it would be a blessing, not only to mom and dad to be poured into, but also to me. And mom and dad took their advice and we went the first service. And this is probably seems like the most meaningless thing, but the thing I remember, the one thing I can remember from that first service, I didn't know the people at that church. I'm sure I had probably seen them at camps you know, through the years, but didn't know them. And looking back now, and those people are my friends now, under the direction of their pastor's wife, they made me a basket because they knew I was coming. And so their pastor's wife asked them to make me a basket. And it had a blanket. I remember it had a notepad and a pen. It had a candle, nothing fancy. But when we came in, we were guests. So that we sat on the front row and the girls from the youth group brought this basket over. And I was floored. That this group of people who did not know me, had never met me in my life, would take the time to come say hi and give me this gift that in and of itself was trivial, but it was the most powerful expression of fellowship and love, and it just sealed the deal. I mean, it really did, and I'm so thankful, and that's one thing I would say is that sometimes as teens, we struggle with new people coming in and we're uncomfortable and they're uncomfortable and just sneak a preach right here. Get past it because you do not know what that person is dealing with. Honestly, you don't know. And you could be the catalyst that brings that person into the faith. So that was a big, big deal. It really just, to this day, that's, that stuck out in my mind. So we went to church. It was, you know, a good church. And their tradition in their church was that after service on Sunday nights, um, the youth would go to the youth pastor's house. Everybody grabbed McDonald's or Sonic, and they took me right along with them. And uh, mom and dad went to the pastor's house for fellowship. And we played spoons and played games, and we had Sonic. And it was the most fun I'd had in several years. And we drove an hour and 15 minutes one way. So it was not an easy thing for mom and dad. But I believe it was the second service. Maybe the third, but I'm pretty sure it was the second service that we went, two Sundays in a row. And 
I grew up my whole life. I knew the plan of salvation. I knew what I had to do. I'd heard every sermon I could probably have preached to myself. (laughs) (laughs) And we got to service. And before worship service even began, I believe, the pastor got up and he just began to exhort under the unction of the Holy Ghost. And he started laying out the plan of salvation. And looking back, it's like I had tuned him out because I knew what he was talking about. I didn't need him to tell me the steps. But God had worked so long at softening my heart that it was the right moment. And it was literally like I could just feel it all over me. And I remember that dad was sitting on the outside of the pew. I was sitting by dad and then mom was on the left of me. So I was sandwiched between them. And we've talked about it as a family since, and mom and dad both have said it was literally just all over me, just like the Holy Ghost was just hovering. And dad pulled on my left arm, and he was like, come on, we need to go to the altar. And I was like, no, I don't want to. And I believe that was the pivotal moment where dad stood up, and he knew better. (laughs) And he said, no, we need to go. And I knew. And it was minutes. And um, it was so easy. (laughs) and it's so awesome because I can look back in the church where I got the Holy Ghost the man who prayed to me through to the Holy Ghost is my bishop now and he just he just said hey this is what's going to happen these words are going to form in your head and you start praising and let them flow and it was so easy and I'm like dummy why'd you wait so long (laughs) you know but it just happened yeah well and from my side of that story on that day (laughs) i had this was january again i had finished up being here for the holidays and i had rushed back to little rock because we were having some sort of special service i don't even remember now what it was it was an anniversary service of some kind with special speaker and things and i was involved with music and i Um, was involved with Sunday school there. So I had rushed back to Little Rock for that service. And I was in the service. And you know how it happens if you're involved with church, when you have special services like that, there were all kinds of special things happening. And so I had jobs to do on the platform and behind the scenes and rushing around. And so we had worship service and all of the things and I finished up and we, it was a crowded sanctuary. So my regular spot was not available. And so when I came down off of the platform, there was a pew along the back wall of the church that was normally where the usher sat. And I just found a spot back there um, out of the way. I don't remember who was preaching. I don't remember even exactly what he preached about. But I remember one thing that he said. He was talking about how God is present, omnipresent in time, and how he is in the past, in the present, and the future all at the same time. And he, I remember distinctly he said this. He said, the prayer that you have been praying for, God has already answered it. And if I've ever heard the Lord speak directly to me, it was right then. And he said to me, Jennifer got the Holy Ghost tonight. And I remember the the immediate thought in my brain was, yes, she did. And I just took off across the back of the church, <laughs> shouting and dancing by myself in the back of the church. And my pastor at the time, I remember him telling me later, he was like, I didn't know what had gotten all over you back there, but I saw that something did. <laughs> and so, well, so then I settle myself down. I sit back down in the pew and immediately the doubts come, right? Because I knew that you guys had been talking about going somewhere in on Sunday evenings, but I didn't know if you had started yet. And so the thought comes across my mind, 
You don't even know if they went to church anywhere tonight. You don't even know where they are right now. And I just shut it down. I was like, nope, I'm not even going to think about it. And I shut it down to the point so far that I forgot about it. So by the (laughs) end of service, I had completely forgotten this whole experience that had just happened to me in the preaching. Church was over. We had a meeting of some kind and I was back Mm -hmm. in the back of the service having a meeting. And my pastor comes walking in and says, Jessica, I need you right now. And the look on his face was so serious. He said, you have a phone call. And I was 100% certain that there had been an accident, that someone was dead, like something terrible had happened. And I followed him down the hall to his office. He handed me the phone. (laughs) And the first thing I hear is your voice. I don't remember. Oh, you said, hey, guess what? And when you said that, all of it came flooding back. (laughs) And I said, you got the Holy Ghost tonight. (laughs) And I was so ticked because you stole my thunder. (laughs) It was just so cool. It was. And we've talked about this, but in my personality and whatever you want to call it, yeah, I wanted to get the Holy Ghost all those years, but the one... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the one thing I wanted to do so badly was to be able to call people and tell them I had gotten the <laughs> And that's, you know, I guess I'm that way to this day. When something happy happens, I can call you. I call mom. I have to tell everybody. So I called you. I think you were the first person I called, if I'm not mistaken. And I was so aggravated because I was like, what? How did she know? <laughs> and did you hang up on me? I don't remember. I do I remember that we did. that we went back out into the sanctuary of our church and, ma- and I mean, church was over, but pastor got up and made an announcement and we had a praise party uh, in the service. And I went up to that basket that was still up in the pulpit and I pulled your name out and I stuck wow. it in my Bible. Wow. I remember that very clearly. I do remember that after I called you, I called our grandmother and uh, same thing. Their church was over and they called her to the office. And I said, Grandma, guess what? I got the Holy Ghost. And she was so overcome that she dropped the phone <laughs> and took off shouting. And I was like, hello? Hello? <laughs> you know, but it was just, I don't even think we got to share with each other right then the whole details of everything no. until later. No. It was just amazing. Yeah. God is just, he's just good. Yep. So we've talked about this on the show before. I think we have at least. But we know that getting the Holy Ghost does not fix everything immediately. And so there was still a lot of growth that had to happen uh, in you, in our relationship. And and I, I don't want any of this, and, and I hope not up to this point it hasn't felt this way, that I say that everything that was wrong in our relationship was your fault, because I don't believe that. And And so when I say there was growth that had to happen in you, there was also growth that had to happen in me. And healing, too. And that healing that had to come from the just all of the hurt we had caused one another over the years. But we started working on it. And I told you this just recently. Like, I remember the first time, I remember the first time that we got through with a phone conversation and you told me that you loved me because that was not something that you did often. And I remember really clearly one day you... <laughs> This, this used to be a thing that you did. <laughs> you, you called. Blame it on the ADHD. I don't know what it was, but you, you called me and I answered the phone and you were exasperated about something that was going on, which I had no idea about because I was four hours away. And you were 
fussing. I didn't even have a chance to say anything. I just said hello. And you were just like fussing, grumbling up something. You were like, hang on. And then you hung up on me. And I was like, what on earth is going on? Well, you, but the thing that was different about it was that in a little while you called me back and you apologized. And I remember being so flabbergasted because in the past, like you had said earlier, you would get over things and move on, but you wouldn't come back and apologize for them. You would just, you would just move on. And we had to keep up (laughs) and I would have to deal with my own like residual frustration on my own. But I remember that clearly that you came back, you apologized. And I just remember thinking like, wow, like the Lord is at work in something so silly, you know, something seemingly so simple, but that I could see God working in you. So looking back now, we're, we're several, many years now past that point, And you have grown in the Lord. You've been called by God. Like you said earlier, you've served as a short-term missionary and you've done lots of things in your walk with God. Do you still feel like when you look back at that time, the difficult years of your childhood and, and young adult and teenage young adult years, do you still feel, does that still bother you to think about that? Like, does it bother you to talk about it? Do you feel like you have to make up for it in some ways? Or do you feel like the Lord has just like healed you of all of that? It doesn't bother me to talk about it. I do have to, sometimes I feel like I have to quell the feelings of regret that I didn't grasp a hold of the truth sooner because I missed a lot of those early adult years. However, I will say that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And there's no one person that matures or grows at any at the same rate as any other person. So my maturity and my growth as a human being happened at a lot slower rate than maybe some other people. And that did cause me insecurities at times, even after I had the Holy Ghost. I always felt really immature for people my age and my friends were always a lot younger than me. So looking back, even if it had happened sooner for me, I don't know that I would have had the maturity to do what God called me to do on the mission field as a 20 year old. Mm. I didn't go on my first mission trip until the year you guys got married. So 2012, 2012. So I was a lot older. And even on that trip, I was several years older than the average age of the people that were on the trip. And so it kind of, I wouldn't say bothered me, but it was something that I obviously had in my head. Mm-hmm. It was a thought I had that, wow, you're a lot older than these people. This is kind of interesting, but Jesus makes up the difference. Mm-hmm. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And through, through two AYC trips and a two month next steps appointment, God put more growth in me in those years than I believe ever could have even happened in my young adult years and late teens because he knew where I needed to be maturity wise, you know? Yeah. So I could let myself struggle with regret. Why did it take you so long? That's not my call. God is the author and it's not my job to pick up the pen. Yeah. I think that's encouraging for people who do have kids that, you know, you've, you've raised them in the church and you don't understand why it's not happening along a timeline that you expect. I hope that people hear this and, and are encouraged to just keep praying and keep letting God write the story, because I think you're right. Pushing you would have made it take longer. And I also find it just so interesting that in the moment 
when it came time that someone had to say like, no, Jennifer, now it's time. (laughs) It still wasn't me or mom. (laughs) It was still dad, you know, like the Lord, even the Lord knew that like those things that push your buttons, I wasn't there and, and mom wasn't the one saying it to you. It was, it was dad. And so I think that's just, I think God just knows what he's doing. And I think it's, I think we've got to let him do it. And, you know, like you said before, the Holy Ghost isn't like a Band-Aid. I mean, obviously we know that we have to have the Holy Ghost, but there's work that has to be done after that. Yeah. It feels kind of foreign almost to say it's not a fix-it-all, but it's not. It's our comforter. It's our helper that God has still given us a free will. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do our part along with the help of the Holy Ghost. So even after I got the Holy Ghost, I struggled. I was in a relationship with someone who was not a believer. It just you know, I, I still struggled with being an adult and learning how to do things on my own. And I still lived at home. And so that pushing that parents might feel sometimes, I do think that's one of the things now I look back on. And I'm so thankful that during that time of having received the Holy Ghost and still falling back into old patterns or things that I, that I knew were wrong, but I, you know, didn't know how to not get out of them. Living under my parents' roof and being in my early 20s, I wanted to have the argument that I'm a grown-up. I can do what I want. Okay, to some extent that's true, but I was still under the rule of my parents' household. And our dad could have easily had an iron fist and put his foot down and absolutely not. You're not doing that. You're not going there. You're not seeing that person. And looking back, I'm so thankful that he didn't do that and he wasn't that way with me maybe because he knew my personality or just the Lord directed him. But I feel like if he had been so staunchly, I don't know how to say this. Like dictatorial. Yeah. If he had been such a dictator in my life, it could have pushed me completely the opposite direction. And there's no one answer for every single situation. But in my case, I'm thankful that my dad knew how to handle that in a way that didn't push me further the opposite direction. Uh I think that, parents listening to this are going to find some encouragement and comfort in that. Do we have any advice for parents who are raising kids that just don't seem to get along? Like you said, when we were young, we just weren't really good friends. Do we have any, is there anything you think mom and dad did well that helped us? I think that, so I come at this not as a parent, only as a kid who grew up. (laughs) But I do think that you have to I don't think that you can parent the same way for all children, even for all of your own children, because kids are not the same. Mm -hmm. And what works with one kid is not going to work with the other. With you, dad could be disappointed in you and you would straighten up. Mom could spank me and it never did me good. (laughs) Dad could spank me and I'd straighten up for a few months and then I'd need another spanking. But with personalities and with just kids being different, you can't expect the same thing to work with one that works with the other. Yeah. And so I feel like maybe sometimes that could have been handled a little bit differently mm-hmm. because I do tease with you and I tease with mom now about trying to live up to the expectations they had of you. And I do think that was a struggle sometimes for me, that I was expected to perform like you did and to be the perfect student and to be well behaved. So I do think that that's one thing I would say is, Try to learn your child's personality and know what works for them and what works for another child you may have. Mm -hmm. Well, and I can say this from the perspective of the child that was always, quote unquote, well-behaved. 
sometimes good behavior is not the only thing that you need to be (laughs) seeking from your child. You know what I'm saying? So one thing that I feel like mom did pretty well with me was that she knew that you were difficult and she insisted that I play with you at different times that I take you with me places when we were young adults and that sort of thing. But she also gave me permission to have space too when it was too much. And so I think, I think that we had a good balance of that. I mean, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know how else we could have done that, but. Well, and I mean, we had some really fun times. Yeah. Some of my most cherished memories are summers, you know, back when you could leave your kids at home when your grandma lived two houses up the street (laughs) and mom was working in the summer and we were off of school and you and I would get the cassette tape recorder and sit in the living room and just record silly, uh, silly tapes of ourselves singing and telling goofy stories. Those are some of my most favorite memories. (laughs) So it's not like we were just at each other's throats all the time. Right. Right. But yeah, Yeah. I do think I, I agree with you that mom, was good about making us get along whenever it was possible. Yeah. Do we have any advice for people who are trying to reconcile or improve their relationships and their families? (laughs) (laughs) Speak on it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I do. I think that one of the things we have discovered, and this is not to say that we have like a perfect relationship now because even in the last six months, we've had to sit down and have like some hard conversations and hash some things out and like, you know, work through some stuff because we're people and it just it's the way things are. And so I think my biggest thing for people is communication. Like You just got to communicate. You got to talk about the stuff. You got to pull it out and stop assuming that you know what the other person's going through and talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. You took the words right out of my mouth. Even in my mind as an adult now, like what you said in the last just several months, we've had some hard conversations we had to have with each other. And I assumed I knew what you were thinking or I assumed I knew what was going on and it was absolutely not what was going on. And instead of asking you and just getting past the awkward, Mm -hmm. even as sisters who love each other and have a really good relationship, some conversations are still going to be awkward. Yeah. And so instead of just having the conversation to begin with, it ended up having to come to a point where you had to approach me. So I would agree with you. It's not always easy, but just talk about it. Yeah. And it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Even if it feels weird and even if it feels clunky and even if it's not easy, just have the conversation. Yeah. Well, I remember we, we had a chat and I feel like it was the the turning point of us moving into starting to move out of like the patterns that we, that we fell into as kids and starting to move into a new pattern. I remember having a conversation with you. One of those times that I came home from college after you'd received the Holy ghost, but when things were still, you know, we would still come, I would come home and (laughs) it felt like we would revert back to old patterns. But I remember having a conversation with you saying like, you're the only sister that I have and I want us to be close. Like at some point, unless the Lord comes back for us all, we're going to be left Um, the only ones, you know, of our little nuclear family. So I want to have a relationship with you. And, you know, I told you at that point, like, we don't know, we're going to get married, we're going to have kids, we're going to, like, whatever's going to happen in our future, but you're always going to be my sister. And I want us to 
I want us to fight for this relationship, basically. And so we've had to do that over the years. There have been different times. We've lived far away. We've been in different time zones. We've been all over the world. And there have been points in time where, you know, I had your name in my phone as a recurring like date on my calendar that would come up every Tuesday afternoon, right as I was getting off work so I could call you because I hadn't been doing a good job of keeping in touch and you were feeling hurt and like I didn't care. And so I had to make an adjustment and say, you know, this is my sister and this is a a relationship that I value and I'm going to invest in it. And if that means I have to remind myself every week to call you and we talk about nothing, then fine. That's what we're going to do, you know. So I think that there's it's possible. That's what I want to leave people with is that you can grow up in good families and have rough relationships. And you can live in a pattern of a relationship for a really long time. There's nothing that's too far gone for God to redeem and to reconcile and to repair. But it's not going to happen with a snap of a finger. It's going to require intentional work and commitment and grace for one another. Absolutely. And there's no one right answer. You know, our situation, our family, our story, there may be bits and pieces that are similar to someone else's, but it's not exactly the same. But like you said, redemption is possible and make the adjustments and have the hard conversations and just do the thing, (laughs) do the thing to make it better because it's worth it in the long run. Yep. I agree. Well, I'm so happy that we got to talk about this stuff and I hope that it's going to bless somebody. You know what the final question of the show is. <laughs> uh <Uh-oh>. oh. <laughs> the show is called Good Question, Jennifer. What is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? <laughs> My good question is Can anyone tell me why electricians are not called Power Rangers? <laughs> I feel like this is a legitimate concern of society. <laughs> <laughs> if and, anyone knows the answer please come find me and if our grandfather were still alive and he knew what a power ranger was he would be, he would be proud of that question yes he would <laughs> all right thank you i love, I love you. you sister i'm glad you're my sister same safe y'all i just love my sister that conversation was so good for us and so fun jen thanks for coming on and agreeing to record with me Listeners, I pray that something we said blessed and encouraged you. I pray that our story reminded you that God is never finished working in our lives. And that if you've been struggling with a difficult relationship or praying for a lost child, I hope you leave this episode renewed in your faith in God's perfect timing. If any of those things are true, I hope you'll share this episode with a friend. We love to hear your thoughts and feedback over on social media. You can find the show on Instagram at Good Question Show, and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A N D E R U P. You can also search for the show page on Facebook, or you can email us. Our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co producer, editor, and Jennifer Short's favorite brother-in-law is my husband, Dave Tanderup. That's it for this week. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday with none other than the General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International, Dr. David K. Bernard. 
He was gracious enough to allow us to ask him some of our good questions. And I can't wait to share that interview with you. So if you haven't already, this is a good moment to click subscribe. I'll see y'all then.